best thing about the personas is the one of the vision was to not just go by the roles the titles that people have but just focusing on what they do on a daily basis with salesforce what they are trying to achieve and just focusing on that their behaviors and their goals instead of just thinking about their titles and roles so they have been a really powerful tool in our company something that has helped the UX and product management kind of come together and use that common language. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Laja Meta, senior UX researcher at Salesforce in San Francisco. We sat together at UX India where she shared inspiring perspectives on her learnings about the intersection of UX research and UX design. We also got a chance to learn about how UX research is done at Salesforce, how it is not just empowering the designers but also product managers in the larger organization, as well as hair methods and best practices when it comes to UX research in the design process. Enjoy the episode! So I'm here with Laja Meta. I'm super excited to, to talk to you about user research, UX research. You're also here, we hate UX India, so you're giving a, a talk yesterday, right? Yep. So how's your time at the, the conference? It's been amazing to see the energy here and how UX has been kind of maturing in India. So I mm. I love being in here. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think it would be great for the audience if they would give, you know, get some context about like how you got into the space, where did you study and a little bit of your journey. So Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm a senior user researcher at Salesforce been there for four years. I started my career as a researcher at Salesforce.com and focused on our main product, Sales Cloud. But in the last two years, I've moved to Salesforce.org, which kind of until recently operated as a separate company. So Salesforce.org focuses on building products for nonprofits and education industries. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm focused right now. I've done my master's in human factors engineering and started as an intern at Salesforce. So that's how I kind of started my journey in UX. Mm-hmm. So uh, back then, did you already thought about going to UX? Or did you already know it when you were studying that you would go into the space? Or was that something you realized on the way that is an interesting space? Yes, that is interesting. I did not know anything about UX before that. So I was actually working as a business analyst in a giant manufacturing company. And as part of my job, I would also regularly kind of go out and train people on how to use our system. And I, I realized that I, w- I was meeting a lot of people who would work at warehouses, not that tech-savvy. And the way we design our system, our understanding of how the, our system will be used, when we actually watched people using our system, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. I saw people struggle a lot using our products where we thought it was pretty straightforward. And so that is when I realized that maybe if there was something to do in this space, it would be interesting. Around the same time, I was also thinking about going back to school and doing my master's mm-hmm. and just chanced up in this field of human factors, engineering, and I loved what I was going to learn through that. And that's how I get in, I got into this. Mm-hmm. How big is the, the user research team at, at Salesforce you're working with? I would keep maybe comparing in the beginning, like when because you asked Salesforce, Salesforce.com, where our kind of a core UX team who handles the core of our products, the research team is pretty big. I think close to 
between maybe 30 and 40 now. And at .org, where I work now, I'll be in the first researcher. I was mm-hmm. the first researcher the company had. And now we are four people. Mm. Okay, so it's starting so out. It's a, it, yes, yes, it's kind of starting so, out. So you know, it's a recent, it's a recent, you know, Salesforce.org is, you know, uh, just opened up recently, mm-hmm. right? So maybe you can tell a little bit about the difference between these two um, sites of Salesforce. Yes, sure. So first of all, I would just kind of for the context, Salesforce.com has 30,000 employees. And Salesforce.org, when I started two years back, we were 500 people. Mm-hmm. So it definitely functioned a lot more like a startup. A lot of our products at .org are less mature than .com's products. What I mean is kind of a lot of our products are just now being built from scratch. Mm-hmm. We only have a couple of products out there in the market. And when I think about UX, again, obviously the size of the teams are different, but the kind of work that I've been fortunate to do at .org has been more generative, more exploratory, because just because of the nature of the products that we have right now at .org. Also, we are stretched thin at .org, or maybe that's the case everywhere. I've mm-hmm. seen specifically for researchers. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, definitely a lot of interesting projects mm-hmm. and a lot of opportunity to make an impact at the very early onset of the product. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone knows the company Salesforce, but mm-hmm. you were mentioning the products, you know, .com is working on, .org is working on. Maybe you can just, you know, unpack this a little bit because some people might not know what are, what are actually the difference or what are the actual products. Right? Yes. Yeah. I should actually also say that we recently merged back with .com, so we are now, all of us are just Salesforce. Mm-hmm. There's no more distinction as in mm-hmm. .com and .org, but just for the sake of what the focus is, .com focuses on basically some of the top products are sales cloud, marketing cloud, service cloud, community cloud, Einstein. These have been the core products of .com versus the .org, as I mentioned, we focus on nonprofit and education. So we have a NPSP is one of our product, which is nonprofit success pack. Mm-hmm. And on the education side, we have Cell, which is a student advisor link. There's another product called Advancement. There's going to be K-12 products coming up. So basically focusing on, we started focusing on higher education institutions first. And then we'll also be focusing on K-12, K-12 which is basically the schools and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, universities, colleges. That's the focus has been mm-hmm. about, on top of the nonprofit side mm-hmm. of things. And you have a design designers as well there, right? At .org. Yes, so we are a team of 15 people at .org. Of the 15, four of us are researchers. So the, the researchers, are, so if you say 15 people, you mean the size of the UX team? Yes, that's the size of so the UX team. So this is the, the whole UX team? The whole UX team mm-hmm. is uh, 15 people, mm-hmm. yes. And was it the same at Salesforce.com that you know, it was in, within the UX team? Oh, I think the .com UX team must be close to 180 people mm-hmm. or so. But also they are the user researchers who are within the UX team, right? Yes. There is a user experience team and within user experience team, there are user research and there are designers and then there are engineers. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So do you work mainly on the, you know, know, the, the, the actual products and sort of the, you know, the measurements and the research and the iterative process? Or do you also have some research programs when it comes to complete new domains or features? So I'm just learning it because it is a two approaches mm-hmm. on you know, user research, right? So I run a little bit, you know, maybe you can share it out also in your past experience at you know, salesforce.com, sure. uh, how you divide these two topics. Yes, interesting question. So I think at .com, because again, the number of products are just so many, the ecosystem is large. 
And comparatively, like if I compare with .org, the teams are bigger in terms of the user experience representation. We've usually had kind of a two tracks I've seen where some of the researchers are, are focused more on the product side. And then there are some who are cross-cloud, we call them, who are focused on initiatives like benchmarking or persona development or longitudinal studies, things like that. But at .org, until recently, we only had like two researchers. So we often had to just kind of focus first on the product. We haven't been able to do a lot of the other side, mm-hmm. other track of the research. Mm-hmm. But we're just kind of starting to now think about it and starting to think about the other proactive longitudinal studies, mm-hmm. those kind of other research tracks and kind of the brainstorming about how to go about that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I assume that in the findings there could be also some things that, you know, almost trigger a new product in a portfolio, right? Right. Uh, you know, depending on the, the findings. So that's yes. interesting. Can User research can be a strategic tool, right, for uh, oh, defining yes, for sure. for where white spots in the portfolio, right? Yes. So I want a little bit about that interaction, intersection between research or user research and UX design, right? Mm-hmm. So how is that, you know, collaboration working? I think it's working great. Usually we have, right now we're trying to have one researcher paired with one designers and both mm-hmm. the representative from both research and design would be embedded to a particular product or a couple of products and just have regular check-ins with the PMs, with the designers. We're trying to, uh, as I mentioned, there are a lot of things that we are building from scratch. So there's been a lot of generative studies with the close partnership with a designer partner, uh, if I was a researcher, and we've also been kind of starting to do a lot of design studios, kickoff meetings. So we start with some explorations and then we come together as a team. I should mention that most of my team at .org is remote. And so basically every single person that I work with is remote actually. But surprisingly, it's not actually been that much a challenge. I When I moved to this remote culture I was definitely apprehensive about how because I've always seen like research and design being in close collaboration so I was definitely apprehensive about it but we travel often and because we are remote when we travel we do try to make sure to kind of make the most out of it mm-hmm. and that's when we usually have kind of this kind of workshops or more hands-on stuff where we usually set the stage with whatever research we have on hand until then and then start the ideation and those kind of things. But it's been pretty tight collaboration. Mm-hmm. Meaning also the design team is at a, a different location or just all the Every single person is in person. is basically kind of working from home. Ah, working from home. So you, yes. Ah, okay, interesting. Can you tell a little bit about, you know, then I assume like, you know, these tools you're using are available, you know, via cloud and so on. So I'm wondering a little bit about you know, the tools you maybe mm-hmm. use in your day-to-day sure. in order to do user research. And I assume... Do you also do interviews with people? So, you know, there's this qualitative and quantitative side of, you know, user research. So maybe we can give an insight mm-hmm. about that as well. Yeah, sure. So uh, for my qualitative remote interviews, I usually do hangouts now. I used to use like a go-to-meeting, but I, now I'm just more comfortable with hangout, being able to. Also because I've, now that I'm a remote worker, I've learned to always have my camera on. To kind of make that connection with my coworkers mm-hmm. and make that connection with the users, and I don't, I don't force them to, like they can turn on if they want to. I don't force them to do that. It's the same, but I want them to kind of, whatever whoever I'm talking to, I want make them to kind of see my expressions and just kind of feel at ease and just helps in warming up with people. 
And so that's the main tool that I've been using. And then for the surveys, we've been using SurveyMonkey mm-hmm. for, kind of for quantitative research. What I've started using a new tool is called Mural, M-U-R-A-L. And that has been a really good tool both for, uh, I use that for my data analysis. And this is a tool which also helps in kind of a, doing a remote collaboration. So we do a lot of affinity mapping and stuff with my team in real time using Mural Board. So that's the interesting tool that I love. Apart from that, I do use like a regular, like a spreadsheet sometime to do data analysis. I haven't used SPSS in a long time, but I mm. do remember having used that in the past. And we also do a lot of transcription services. And I'm actually on the lookout of lookout for a better transcription services where just better features in mm. terms of what we can search and tag and things like that. Mm. You know, what's interesting, I think, is like, you know, user research is sort of empowering design to, you know, have impact, right? That's, you know, we talked offline a little bit about that. Yeah. Now, do you have any specific examples on hand where you saw, you know, where, you know, the research was sort of enabling design to have, you know, great impact? Yes, for sure. So I think this comes back from my experience at .com. When I was there, our kind of a head of research, Nalini, she had a great vision about how how to create data-driven personas and how to actually not just create a personas, but how to embed that in any kind of a work we do as a UX team and how to leverage those personas to kind of drive our work forward. And so I was part of the team where we had this massive initiative of creating persona for every different cloud. And it was completely data-driven in the sense that we used mixed methods. So we started with doing a large-scale survey. We reached out to, like, I remember, I think, more than 200,000 people for every single cloud. So when I say cloud, it's a sales versus service versus marketing. Those are the different clouds for us. And so based on the responses we received from this quantitative survey, we had a we have resident experts in quantitative data analysis, did factor analysis and things like that. And then we augmented that with uh, doing a lot of contextual visits to our users. I was part of that team. It was a lot of fun where we were kind of at one side, we were segmenting our users and then we were also kind of meeting them to make them more like make the personas more personalized and give those personas a face that we had a user stories to map with the, the personas that we came up with mm-hmm. and so that experience has been really great and so it's been really successful we had a lot of town halls and round bag events to socialize the personas that we made and it has been referenced now internally and also externally by our customers we kind of made them public we printed out our persona cards shared those out with our customers and every user stories that the the design team is working on they are mapped with the personas and you know why would you know how that matches to someone who is using salesforce and we also being diligent about refreshing personas every year it's, um, it's great to have a common you know, ground for you know designers to <laughs> you know to work on and you know have an yes. alignment on that on that side right? yeah so and it, it's just been it helpful in having that one common language a shared understanding mm-hmm. between internal teams and now even external users where when we talk about like accidental admin uh, most of our company knows what that means 
best thing about the personas is the one of the vision was to not just go by the roles, the titles that people have, but just focusing on what they do on a daily basis with Salesforce, what they are trying to achieve, and just focusing on that, their behaviors and their goals, instead of just thinking about their titles and roles. Mm-hmm. So they have been a really powerful tool in our company, mm-hmm. something that has helped the UX and product management to kind of come together and use that common mm-hmm. language. Oh, great. You know, when it comes to, you know, the intersection of, you know, designers, UX research, right? Or UX designer, UX research. What are some of the, uh, you know, things you might, you know, because, you know, in design, is, you know, there's also this push towards research. So you have mm-hmm. design research or, you know, people, you know, do you come very much from a research perspective right mm-hmm. into UX? There's also this trend from design side to go into research, right? Mm-hmm. So... And, you know, there is a, is a link there. So I'm wondering a little bit about or maybe some of the you know, common mistakes you see or some of the things you would, you know, really appreciate if, you know, a design or UX design would, mm-hmm. you know, take this more into consideration when it comes to this collaboration. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah no. Okay. I'll have to think about it. Okay. So I, I would say I've seen kind of a two types of designers mm-hmm. uh, based on what I, the people that I work with. One who are really interested in doing some hands-on research along with what they're doing in their design work. Mm -hmm. And then another kind of category that I've seen is that they would rather have researchers handle the research part of things and kind of focus more on the design. And Mm -hmm. I think both of them are fine. I don't have any specific preference myself. But sometimes I've seen the mistakes as in where there is a, a kind of a compartmentalization where this is my stuff and people only share once it's like perfectly finished and polished and are kind of hesitant to sharing like their raw things that they're working on sometimes they can just you know if you're working on their your own bubble and that that happens with researchers as well very very much happens so it's not specific to just design but i've seen that as a kind of one of the big mistake where you are working on your own bubble we often have like a critiques design critiques which mm-hmm. are amazing opportunities for anyone to kind of share their work but i've definitely worked with some people who would just hold back until they're just not absolutely ready with the perfectly polished thing yeah. and then you know it's difficult to have a like a feed i mean they're sourcing feedback but then they already tried to perfect it, it right? yes so then they want sh- don't want to it, change it right? yeah and it's it's a, it's just kind of a waste of time and effort and energy mm-hmm. and also you're just not aligned with you know what you're trying to do and you're not sharing your vision mm-hmm. with your close team members so i think that's one of the biggest mistake i've seen i think apart from that for designers who are interested in doing research i love that energy as well but oftentimes there is a presence of bias. And again, that's also present present for researchers. But I think it's just increased bias when you are doing your own designs and trying to have that validated mm-hmm. with your users. So you, you see more biases when PMs or designers are running the research. So I've seen a dot com we have tried to do is we have a dedicated researcher who is helping a designer when they're running their own studies. So they would help them with kind of like looking over their script, helping them to reduce biases, just making them aware of kind of, you know, things like biases and not asking leading questions, things like that. So just having, being open to, you know, just working close collaboration with researcher 
just kind of just helps in turn ultimately to kind of getting feedback that is rooted in real data mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. through your biases mm-hmm. and like this uh, behavior of like being afraid of like sharing um, mm-hmm. things i can a little bit emphasize because of my design background you know because maybe why this behavior is you know happening yeah and uh, it's you know very often is you know you you know fear to be judged on the mm-hmm. wrong thing right yeah um, you feel like, you know, this is actually going to make such a difference. It's polished versus when it's like work in progress that the result will be completely different. Okay. So but this, I guess like in this podcast, it would be also a chance for you to, you know, take away this fear a little bit. So yeah. maybe as a message for, you know, designers to why it's, why it is useful to, you know, share out, you know, content and give it into you know the hands of user research, even if it's not completely done. Yeah. I think it's human nature. It's yeah. not specific to just a designer. Yeah. This is what, how we are. And I think this this basically, over the period of time, if you're working closely with your team, this tends to go away. But when you're maybe new person in the team, you just started the team and you want to kind of show your worth to the team, I think those things can really make this go a little mm-hmm. <laughs> on the other side, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what's also interesting with you know user research is recently uh, a lot of discussion about you know, design can drive emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And about like research on you know what actual emotion you sort of triggering with your design, right? Often these things are not very much on the surface. You sort of have yeah. to dig deeper in the in the user interviews. So I'm you know science doing user interviews. I'm running a little bit about that aspect as well. Uh, about some of the consequences and maybe some of your, you know, methods when it comes to, you know, finding out about what is the actual emotion and some of the implications mm. of the work. Yeah, good question. When you talk about the method, if you really want to understand, go deeper than the surface level, I would definitely say the ethnographic studies, learning about users in context, that is definitely the go-to method for that mm. because you're t- not just talking to the user, but you're also observing how they work and you know what are the other things they're dealing with they're you're using them as a whole Mm -hmm. and not just for that 30 minutes or 60 minutes that you talk to them when maybe they already come with some preconceptions about what they want to talk about Mm -hmm. so observations i've also tried to do some observations remotely where i just ask them to share their screen and just keep working whatever they're working without giving them any prompts Mm -hmm. but again that sometimes hit or miss because of the time of the day that you are trying to get them but definitely if you can go in person to observe your users and you can also do some q a at the end Mm -hmm. they have been like a great methods to kind of seeing not just what people do, but why they why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can give you an example. When I was a researcher with search, our search feature at Salesforce.com, I did a lot of contextual visit to our users. And it was interesting that some of the users that we visited, they would search for something for maybe once when they wouldn't find, they would just walk over to the next person mm-hmm. and just ask them, like, have you seen this? Where is this? Where would I find this in the system? So a lot of times we forget there are interactions going even after the system. And they are interesting, you know, just kind of when we think about permissions and who can see what, but we don't think about the other interactions that are happening in the offices mm-hmm. and how they come into play. Mm-hmm. Super you know, since we're here at UX India and, you know, UX you know, is a rising topic in, in India as well. And, you know, I was talking to some of the you know, also speakers, you know, the last days also about this sort of, 
have on one side you have uh, more of a strategic side where mm -hmm. there's a lot of user research and yeah. you know measurements and so on and then there's this whole also culture about you know UI design and dribble and you know visual design. I don't think this is you know unique to India, but you know I'm wondering a little bit about you know your view on you know UX in India and how it's hmm. you know, coming together. Yes, so I remember a couple of years back I talked to one of my colleagues and definitely UX design was kind of starting to become like a trend in here, but research was still kind of unheard of a couple of years back. But now I was surprised to see a lot of people just interested in, in UX in general. I think one thing interesting that I've observed, I think that is kind of a, just unique to India, is a lot of people are kind of changing their careers and moving into UX, both design and research. So they've been maybe a developer or front-end engineers or just maybe content writers, but now they're kind of getting into UX. So that's kind of an interesting trend compared to US where I see a lot of us, especially in research, I've seen people coming from anthropology, you know, or have a background in information management, things like that. And I also see here actually a lot of graphic designers kind of moving into UX design mm -hmm. now. So that's the one trend that I've seen here. I've seen that people are here, like specifically at the conference, I see that people are hungry for details. They know a lot. They, they, they know the theory. They know the terminology. Mm -hmm. But they just haven't had an opportunity to experience to work on that hands-on. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, a lot of one of the reasons is a lot of companies in India, their clients are in US. Things are changing here. A lot of product companies are being set up, but still, I think majority, majorly, there's, it's basically a lot of companies who are in the service tech industry. So they have clients all over the world. And when you're working with clients, one of the biggest challenges is the time. They just don't have enough time to explore beyond like they have ideas about design systems or mm -hmm. uh, doing generative research but they're just a either they don't have enough resources or enough skill sets and b is just they're just always tight on time so that's something that i've learned from some of the attendees here that they know a lot of things on paper but they just haven't had time to explore those mm -hmm. and that's why i see in the workshops and the sessions here that they are hungry for details like, mm -hmm. okay, you talk about journey mapping, but what what exactly that you do? When do you start it? What are the steps? What are, What is the outcome of it? And how to use that back into the product side of things? Mm -hmm. Maybe as a last question, I think it would be interesting because as, you know, I think you know, user research is so important for the design process to also for designers to emphasize on this and be empowered by user research, you know, and you know, have it involved in the design process as much as possible, mm -hmm. and you know, have a really strong bond there. And so, you know, we were earlier touching on you know, some of the things that you know you saw that maybe sometimes don't work so well, mm -hmm. but maybe you know, for the young designers out there and for the design community in general. Some of your, you know, you know, advice for you know working with user research and you know, things you know, designers should consider. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I actually mentioned in my talk yesterday is taking time to understand your team and your stakeholders. That's something that I've been trying to put into practice a lot these days. For any kind of a project, I would take time to meet a designer and meet my PM and just kind of understanding 
what are their fears about the product and how much time they have to be involved with the user experience team and kind of how do they make decisions and what resources they use apart from UX deliverables where are what are their resources and you know so I, I think I would give the same advice to designers as well if you're working with researchers just kind of try to understand what are their kind of um, principles or what are the things that they believe in there are also kind of a multiple schools of you know thoughts mm-hmm. always about you know you always hear about personas good or bad and journey mapping there's always pros and cons about the methods that we use so just kind of try to understand the researcher that you work with you know what what do they believe in how do they work how how much you want to partner with them you want to be involved in the process just share with the researcher i think that's always uh, welcome mm-hmm. To know, I think apart from that, I would say that for both, I would say for researchers and designers, for young people trying to get into UX, I would say that try to find time to meet customer-facing teams, whether it's UX or other teams, because mm-hmm. these days everyone in the company is trying to collect data. You know, mm-hmm. there is a data science and there is a marketing research, there is the voice of the customer that's happening, and there are basically surveys going out every day. Mm-hmm. So if you have a customer service team, just spend time and sit with them and maybe listen into the calls and just learn about what are the issues your customers are having what are the top 10 issues this week last month Mm -hmm. if you have online forums go check that out so don't be limited to you know don't be narrow focused Mm -hmm. on that one feature or one thing that you have on hand just try to go out and meet and with other customer facing teams Mm -hmm. and resources that your company has Mm -hmm. And just use that to, you know, as uh, holistically to make your decisions, whatever decisions you have to make mm-hmm. in your work. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing the insights. I think they have been a very valuable perspective when it comes to the intersection of you know, research and design and how this relationship could you know, be built uh, moving forward and you know, how you know, the relationship could be also improved. And because I think it's important for um, you know, design to you know, consider you know, research, research and really have it being part of the, the process. So thank you for sharing all the insights. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here with you. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.